The world has changed. I see it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. Except for Josh Karam and Aaron Thompson of the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Did they cancel the new Game of Thrones prequel after spending so much money on the pilot? I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't seen anything about it. I never even watched the trailer. So me neither. I just saw that Matt Smith had white hair, and I'm like, oh, he's a Targaryen. Cool. <laughs> you said that seems like fun. That's good for them. Well, I mean, Game of Thrones stopped on my heart before, so it's very hard for me to pull myself together for the next one. But we sing it anyway. Exactly. We know. always sing the theme song before we start because this pod. Because to know how it ends and still to begin to sing it again that's a that's a quote from hades town yeah, yeah. you, know. <laughs> you know if people haven't gotten already that we're musical theater people i just how have you made it this far no exactly uh, especially after um <laughs> people are going to be feeling like ryan right, right now during the ravnica episode you're like oh when we have that big legally blonde bit yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Speaking of Legally Blonde, oh my god, oh my god, you guys, I'm so excited because we are back in the new year, everybody. Mm-hmm. It's so good to be back. We are so sorry. Turns out the end of 2021 was a big clusterfuck, and um, we had so many lofty goals that we are going to get to. It's just going to take us a little bit more time because it turns out we also have real lives outside of doing this. Also, not going to lie, catching COVID really slows down your creative thought process. It makes it very hard to focus. You had that Pokemon mentality, you know? Gotta catch them all. If only I could find a Chansey or a Blissey, some Pokemon that could have cured me of this. <laughs> but regardless of COVID and everything, we are happy because there's so many cool things coming out in the new year. We got new D&D source books, we got new Magic the Gathering sets, and a whole bunch of new stuff to be talking about. This is also the year that um, Avatar Legends comes out. I'm so excited to finally just get in there and play Avatar Legends because I love that world so much. And also, I love doing things that aren't D&D now. Ever since I started playing 7th C with Bits Before Crits, I really love trying new dice systems and new mechanics. So hopefully we get a chance to get in there and play Avatar Legends. And also, I just want the book too. Like, I want to own a physical copy. Gotta own it. Also, gotta support your local small indie game makers, you know? There are so many tabletop RPG games out there, and I know Dungeons & Dragons is the celebrity and the star of that world, but we gotta get out there and play the other things. Like, for the people who aren't as interested in combat, Avatar Legends is this perfect way to change the way that you think about combat, especially as we've talked about in the episode in Avatar Legends, how mm-hmm. all the bending works Love in it. it. Give the little guy a chance. This actually goes off of uh, one thing I was thinking about in preparation for today. I'm coming to terms with the fact that I actually really love combat in D&D now. I don't know what happened, but there's just something like, I just like hitting stuff. I like sometimes getting to solve a problem by being like, I'm going to throw a fireball at this. And I think that like, that's what D&D can be about. And like, I don't think that that's a bad thing. We've said we've had a couple episodes on this channel that's like trying to make D&D more RP based, which I also enjoy. But like, don't deprive D&D of what it's also really good at, which is making a cool tabletop like combat game. So then you have other RPGs for other purposes. So like, it's good for what it's good for. 
and that's awesome. Well, when you look at spell lists in D&D, you're never going to meet a warlock who's like, you know, I actually didn't take Eldritch Blast. I chose to take some utility cantrip instead. Like, there are these big damage spells. You're obviously going to be taking those for this game. Oh, absolutely. Like, anytime you pick new spells, you're like, I'm going to take Fireball. You know, I'm going to take fucking Vitriolic Sphere. You know, I'm going to take Force Cage. Like, these are... They're all combat spells. No one's like, well, and today I got major image, like, which is cool, but like, come on. Exactly. You're going in to blast the high level fireball. And also, I mentioned spells when it comes to combat. I mean, combat damage for like the witch knight multi-class is absolutely insane. Yeah. When you're like, and how much damage would that be? And Ryan says, um, that'll be 63 damage with one hit. Now, if you want to build a witch knight so you get that crazy damage output, usually you want to play a hexblade warlock with that. So you got to go to one book in Xanathar. But then maybe you choose a paladin oath that's over in Tasha and you have to jump to that book. And then you have to go back to the player's handbook to figure shit out so good thing now instead of the headache of all of that we're now having the D rule expansion bundle coming out very shortly i am excited that we finally are getting to have all of these like books like we talked all the time in the beginning about like the year of tasha and like all of the cool changes that that book brought us and it's great to have that and xanathar's and this new bestiary all sort of bundled in one place so that you don't have to go hunt down three separate books. Like, you can have them all and be like, all right, now I can play, like, modern D&D, you know, instead of the sort of, like, old school, like, well, we have the player's handbook and the monster manual. Here we go. Also, nowadays, I never look at the player's handbook, really, when I'm building a character unless I need base stuff from the class because I'll be looking for a subclass in a completely different book by that point because they've grown so much since the player's handbook came out. At this point, I... I, like, stop by Xanathar's now and again. It's sort of my, like, I'll start there, and if nothing catches my eye, then I'll go on to Tasha's. Always looking for that juicy new subclass in one of those books. Unless you're building a wizard, in which case, fuck the wizard. True, and I've already said my love for a Grave Domain cleric, but honestly, you have some of the best clerics in the player's handbook. There's just so many to choose from. That's true. When I build a cleric, I start from the player's handbook, because they covered so much ground in the beginning. You know? And in the player's handbook, there's so many classes with really only, like, one really good subclass. Like, the Sorcerer, for an example, the Wild Surge is the best one to choose from. Like, the Draconic doesn't even come close to the Wild Surge. And also, Circle of the Moon Druid, I love. But personally, I do not like the Circle of the Land Druid at all. I know, Druid. Druid gets a lot of really cool stuff outside of the player's handbook. But we're actually going to get like a new, new player's handbook in 2024, I read. It's crazy that we are almost at the next stage of D&D. It's really exciting. It also means that there's going to be a lot of playtesting in the, in the years to come. And hopefully a lot of Unearthed Arcana, which, you know, I'm always excited about. Oh, you know me, Aaron. When uh, the Gothic lineages on Earth Arcana came out, I was freaking out. But not only because like it was you could play as vampires, but also there was a really cool rogue in an original Unearth Arcana that they basically just took that premise and turned it into a race, which is super cool just to see how the playtest evolved a class into a race. I am hoping though in this new beast theory that they take out um like prescribed alignments for humanoid races. You know, you know how like in the original monster manual, it's like, here's a drow assassin, like neutral evil. Also, when it comes to just fighting monsters in D&D, you flip through the handbook for things to fight. It's deep gnomes, 
orcs, drow elves. Like, that is the common thing to fight when you're good people looking for generically evil characters, low-level characters to fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's some goblins. Fight some kobolds. And for my first level um, fights, I'll be like, here's some halflings. In the encounter we just had in our home campaign, I had you guys fight a bunch of forest gnomes that were under this corrupt prince and this evil moon spirit he was worshipping. Which, you never fight forest gnomes, you usually fight deep gnomes. They were pains in the ass, too. <laughs> I know how they could be a pain. I just basically had them as poison emitters. So they constantly just had poison arrows that they were shooting at the party to try to uh, have the uh, poison condition affect them. By the way, tip for high-level campaigns, if you're just having a bunch of small enemies, make them do stuff like debuff. Don't really worry about the damage side, because the debuff really just sticks it to them. Yeah, debilitate. Because that'll really piss off your players. You know me, I've used to always be the way too light and nice in combat, so now I'm adding a lot of these more challenging aspects, because I feel comfortable now as a DM that it can get a little more vicious when it comes to combat, giving it a bit of a challenge. It was awesome. I mean, there's a certain amount, like, in this in this fight we just went through, right? You threw a really big, the boss, like, deflected spells. So, like, Rachel was screwed. Um... And then it was just, like, a bunch of little guys that, like, for someone like me that does a lot of damage to one target, I, like, can't really deal with them because I'm busy trying to take out the big guy that's going to deflect all of our sorcerer's spells back at her. So it was cool to, like, divide up, like, what each character can be good at, you know? And, like, actually work as a team in, like, a very different way than just being like, here's a dragon, fight the dragon. Exactly. Although I do love a good dragon fight. I think it's important because, you know, it's so easy to find, like, a one big boss that you put your party against and be like, that's that's a threat. But, like, to change it up so other people feel more important. Like, for example, in that fight, Rachel as a sorcerer couldn't do much because of the deflection of spells. But because there were a lot of small people, uh, oh, Rachel yeah. as a sorcerer Just was able obliterate. to find something to do. Yeah, while the other people who were more suited to take out the big enemy could do that. And, mm -hmm. yeah, because it, it sucks to have somebody be completely powerless in a fight. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I remember I did one fight where I was playing a bard, and we were fighting, like, floating swords, which, like, were immune to everything I could do. Oh. Because, like, I, they, I had, um, like, cutting words and, like, dissonant whispers. Like, they were immune to psychic damage. They couldn't be charmed. I was like, there's nothing. There's nothing there's I nothing can do I can in do. this situation. Yeah. I also think, like, literally, D&D &D is a numbers game, but I also mean that in the way of, like, you know, you like, the side with that gets to make more rolls and take more turns is usually the one that, like, has the advantage. So that's, I think that's part of why we have, like, legendary actions um, for, like, really big monsters, so that when you fight one, it gets to do multiple attacks at different parts of the round, but then when you have a creature that doesn't have those fighting a whole party, it's sort of, like... The things get sort of stacked against them like sure you can take three attacks but like you might be taking six or seven in a round from the whole party totally and it reminds me of the time when we were building your rogue character for the first time mm -hmm. and i think the first combat we tried was you versus seven people yeah that was that sucked. <laughs> you know what i mean and like it, it reminds me like it's it's how important it is that you have a party that can help split the, the danger for people mm -hmm. and also realizing what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are so you can find, as a character, 
what you would most likely go for because Ariadne's mm-hmm. a talented rogue. She knows what yes, she's she doing. Is. She's going yes. for the big boss because she knows that's what she can do the best. Right. She's not an assassin like subclass, but she's an assassin like at heart. Yes. You know? Based on the damage you do, yeah, you're definitely an assassin. Thank you, at thank heart. you. Yeah. <laughs> Love and accuracy, you know. Oh, Super it's advantage. really good. It's I I I, love it. so I I'm like so addicted to advantage now from playing Ariadne that like I hate just rolling regular. Oh, like, I know. I, I hate a straight roll. It like makes me angry. I saw you in the one shot we were doing where you were just playing your divine soul sorcerer. I, every time you rolled regularly, I saw it in your eyes, and I'm like, they're not happy that they don't have advantage <laughs> on this roll. Which is funny because like that divine soul sorcerer, I realized that might be my favorite um, subclass of sorcerer that I've played so far. It was awesome because I love the cleric spell list and I love the sorcerer's like stats and I love meta magic. So getting to do them both and like to have fireball, but to also have like distant cure wounds was awesome. Sorry, just one more time for the podcast. Do you say what spell list you liked again? Oh, the cleric spell the list. The cleric spell list. Yes, the greatest Shut class up, in Josh. D&D. Shut up, <laughs> Josh. I just feel as though when we were it's talking. It's a great spell list. It's it's my favorite spell list, Aaron. <laughs> it's so good. I, like just to get to have spiritual weapon as a sorcerer. Yes. Like, I know I didn't get to use it in the one shot, but like, it was so cool. Let me tell you, these are the two things, all right? There are they're the classes that give you the cleric spell list. So, like, always look for those. But the other one is Ravnica. There's a reason why I am Boros. is because mm-hmm. Boros does get a couple cleric spells on its yeah, spell Yeah, you get list. your guiding bolts. So I'm always... I, Always look for how to make any other character at least partially cleric. And I think mm-hmm. I mentioned that we were talking about character creation too, what I usually lean towards. I do lean towards support roles a lot. So maybe that oh, is absolutely. kind of where it all comes from for me. I think that's why I like the Divine Soul so much too. Yeah. It was the fun of getting to be a blaster, but also having the ability to support my team. Like, I cast Bless on everybody. That was awesome. It is nice to have, like, someone being a glass cannon class, but actually can do stuff to support and not just, all right, I've shot all the spells I can. I went down because I have nothing else I can do except go mm-hmm. in. Right. All the Basically, way. let me just deal as much damage before I get knocked out. Exactly. That's not fun. You know, I think it's like, um, it's any good game you think about when you put all your stats into one skill. You find it's boring, and if that failed, you're like, oh, no, that's it. I'm done after this. It's also the classic sorcerer dilemma of, like, I'm Draconic Bloodline, so all my spells are my dragon type. Yes, exactly. like the minute that you run into something that's immune to fire, you're like, well, fuck me, I guess. When I was making my Wildfire Druid... I wanted to flavor it so, like, my spells were all fire. You know what I mean? And I knew that was going to hurt me. But still, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to do it. I added one spell Mm -hmm. that wasn't that I, like, justified why I had it. I do this a similar thing with my Storm Sorcerer, you know, but at least that's split between lightning and thunder, and they're not always resisted by the same things. Yes. And then I also added in psychic magic because I wanted to. You know, yeah, and I was like, totally. Otto can be smart and do psychic magic. Why not? Yeah, I think it's there's just... also I took this like thread from um, Theros where you have Karanos, who's the god of storms, but also like insight and inspiration. Oh. So I was thinking about like mind lightning. Yeah, you know? that's good. No, that is good. And, you know, also, I-, I think it's just like a growing point of a character. It's good to do things like that, because if you're a, you're a magic user, you want to show that you've mastered magical arts. Which means mm-hmm. more than just the one magical art that you know. 
Exactly. You're like, yeah, you could always throw lightning. What else can you do now? Yeah, yeah, show us what you got. You know, mm-hmm. speaking of character growth, the other big D&D thing I think we should talk about coming out is the Critical Role Adventure book is oh. coming, The Call of the Nether Deep. Now, I'm I've so actually excited. been catching up on Critical Role as I was telling you, so I'm finally actually back into the uh, the we mix of Critical Role. I'm not caught up, but I'm no, back in. Me neither. It. Yes. I'm close. I'm almost done with campaign 2. Yeah. Which is insane. I still got like 30 episodes left. I'm not. And when I say almost, I mean like I'm 20 episodes. Oh, well, that's, you you know know what? Actually, that's fair too. Especially (laughs) considering like how much it took you to get to that point. Oh, my God. Like that totally makes sense to me. Yeah. It almost took a whole pandemic for me to catch up on Critical Role. It's there for some reason. But I I think. No. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't (laughs) want to put that curse on you. Sorry. I'm going to Warlock. I think like an undead patron came to me for a second. It's like, you know, it was good good that that happened and i'm like thank you undead patron you're right <laughs> thanks satan yeah thank you satan <laughs> so i remember being really excited when um the um guide to wild mount came out because i'm like ooh mm-hmm. i love critical role this is really cool that now we don't have just the source book for it now we have an adventure book so yeah. we can live out what the critical role adventure is which is honestly i remember looking through like job postings because you know i'm an actor that's what i do all the Mm -hmm. time and like really are you an actor josh i know right crazy i I finished (laughs) up one gig go to the next that's why our schedules are so weird because aaron does arts too yeah yeah we we both have weird lives but i remember looking at like D &D online things like you know like mentors for D &D. Mm -hmm. and the joke is they always say we want to give our students the critical role experience. And I think, well, first off, like, good luck finding people who could live up to Matthew Mercer, but that's what a lot of people playing D&D are looking Any for. Any of them. Yeah, and I don't know if this will change things, but with the release of the Critical Role TV show, The Legends of Vox Machina, January 28th, I wonder if that will also influence more people getting into D&D oh, about absolutely. the critical role experience. Yes, I also want to take this moment to say, like, you don't have to play D&D like Critical Role, you know? There's plenty of other great ways to do it. One of my other favorite podcasts is very different from Critical Role. I love Mad Pod yes. uh, by College Humor. They're, I'm also very excited for their third season, which is coming out very soon. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways to do D&D. Critical Role does a really good job at what it does specifically, yes. right? which is sort of like an homage to this like classic dungeon crawl with some really deep, intricate story beats. Exactly. Yeah. They don't do the thing where I've become more okay with being like, here's a very modern joke thrown into our world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or like they don't quite follow the rule of cool. Well, there's a reason why there's a source book, I guess, right? Their mm-hmm. world is very what you would think Dungeons & Dragons as. There's no influence yes. from any modern references or any like real joke telling in that way except for like the the, the things that sam regal throws you know offhand that get mad mercer all upset yeah <laughs> except oh, those absolutely. yeah except those that happen but um what i wanted to dive into is uh I-, I think you brought up a really good point that you don't have to have it be you know a critical role adventure you could play the game however you're and there's many more ways to do it so mm-hmm. I wonder how these stories, or it says right here, a first major adventure module within Critical Role's world of Exandria, taking players from level 3 to level 12. So I wonder what it's going to be like. Is it going to emphasize like strong characters that are built into the world, similar to how Critical Role works, mm-hmm. which isn't always there for adventure modules. Like Out of the Abyss, for example, we had to like build ourselves into the world more. 
Like, that's right. not a part of it. We had to give ourselves character moments. Exactly. And since Critical Role is so big on these characters are very important, I wonder what it's going to be written like. This is also a good time to point out that um, the Critical Role people are putting out a book of their own through Darrington Press called um, Taldore Revisited, I think, which is like another source book specifically about Taldore, which has updated um, NPC stat blocks for all of Vox Machina. So if you wanted to like throw that into your Critical Role adventure, you know, you can you can finally play like in their world with those characters. That's so Because that's nice. something I find myself like as I'm listening through. I'd be like, if I was a guest on Critical Role, which is a fantasy I live out many times. Oh, oh, um, I totally get you. I totally understand. I think, like, this is what my character would do in this situation. Or, like, I would pick a fight with Caleb because, like, I would. Um, Because we don't get along. I love Caleb, but we don't get along with Caleb all the time. That's the truth. No, not all the time. I also... This is bold, but I don't always get along with Caduceus either. Really? Like, don't at me. That's actually... I don't actually think I've ever heard that opinion before. That's very interesting. Um, he's... Yeah. I, I mean, I love Talos and Jaffe. I love everything he does. Um, and I love Caduceus as a character. He's just so sure of himself. And I Mm. always play such, like, a punk rebel without a cause character Uh that I think I would just, like, naturally push back against that and be like, how do you know? Like, you don't get to just sit there and pretend to be removed from this whole situation. That's so interesting, huh? Yeah. I I like that. That's really good. But I I think that's why, just to go back on it, I think that's why Avatar Legends is really cute with what they're doing with the release is that they've built NPC stat blocks for all the main characters in Avatar. Yeah. So you can play alongside those heroes. And I guess, like, you could go back to Dungeons and & Dragons and be like, I read Dritz, you know what I mean? I love Brunner, Battlehammer, like, all of those legends of D&D. But mm-hmm. for more people, and I don't know if this is an incorrect statement, I think the characters of Critical Role are, like, the celebrities within the D&D world. Like, those, the the Absolutely. Fords, the Calebs, all of them. Like, mm-hmm. those are the characters that you are like, oh, my God, that's that's the character I want to be like or to play alongside. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to bump into, you know, I don't know, like Grog or Vex and Vax, you yeah. know, oh. at any point along their journey. The dream. The dream. I want Ashley Johnson to chop off my head, you know, like whatever. I would like to eat a Please pie be my with friend, Ashley. Please. I love you. <laughs> sorry, I, I'm sorry to ruin your Ashley moment by sneaking in a Liam moment for myself. That was kind it's of selfish. Fun. We all have, you know, we all have our self inserts. It's fine. That's good. But there was one more thing I wanted to talk about the um the book here because mm-hmm. it brings in a mechanic that doesn't get talked about a lot. It's in the Dungeon Master Guide, but people don't go into it. Um. New magic items in this book and creatures and introduces new rival NPCs. Oh, yeah. And we don't... The rival system is in the Dungeon Master Guide. There is a whole... I think there's like a half or a full page for it. But Mm -hmm. not many people follow through on, like, rivals in D&D. I love it. I think it would be cool if this book brings that back up more because I think the flip side of it is the Strixhaven book bringing up the relationship system is, like, mm-hmm. a really cool through line. So I like the idea of, like, it's the Pokemon system, right? Gary Oak gets stronger as you get stronger. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool to have that little edge. Yeah. That's um that's something I think about a lot with, like, when you have, a like, a recurring villain, you know, and this sort of, like, pulp, um, what's it called? Pulp fiction, right? That? The, like the movie? Not, or? <laughs> no, not like the movie, oh, okay. like the genre. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. So when you have a recurring villain, I think it's, um, it's terrifying actually to like be like, all right, we're gonna train up, do a big training montage, and then go fight this villain again, 
and like we'll be stronger and better this time and to have the villain also be stronger and better you're like fuck yes <laughs> never mind exactly and also like I even like to think of, like, the rival. They could be the villain or they could be just a foil to you. Like, mm -hmm. they have nothing. Like, if they were to fight the big bad, they would fight the big bad. But mm -hmm. they are I, just yeah. like, hey, I want to be stronger than you. And I'm going to keep striving to be stronger than you. I also think it, like, it just makes more sense within the world, too, to be like, oh, surprise. You're not the only adventurers that are trying to go out and change the world. Like, in a, in a world where you have, like, access to unlimited power if you work hard enough you know yeah. like anybody could seemingly become an adventurer you know there it makes sense to have other people out there in the world doing the thing Aaron, that's so fun like i feel as though i could have like a whole segment on that because that's something that's very interesting to me like making sure when you build a campaign how do you build in a system where you make sure there's other people doing the job because mm -hmm. it almost feels that when you run a campaign with a party of adventurers, like, the town is sitting there, and they're like, oh, thank God the only fucking adventuring yeah. party in it's all like of this land Final came Fantasy, here. Exactly. You know? We're like, if you didn't do anything, nothing would be like, done. We're like, there's no other adventurers alive right now. You're the only party. There's, like, a mm -hmm. strong dude who lives over there, but he's not an adventurer. Mm -mm. He's just an NPC for your party. Yeah, that's a that's a fine line. As I continue my foray into DMing, I worry that I rely on like DM insert NPCs too much, you know, for like, um, like I like will roll up a whole character and be like, this is my NPC, you know, she's a knowledge cleric. And like, if the party decides to ask her about, you know, the lore of this ancient civilization they've discovered, like, she'll know something because she's a knowledge cleric, you know? And she's just, like, a traveler, you know? Like, later they might run into, like, a monster hunter ranger that I may or may not have built already, you know? Who, like, is a prominent member of the Monster Hunters Guild. So it's, like, I it's struggle. I worry that I'm, like, am I trying to play my own game too much and, like, make it about me? You know, because I've had DMs that have done that. Not you. You're fine. Oh, thank um, you. I mean, honestly, nope. I don't think that's a bad thing because there could be something where one of those characters really attaches themselves to that NPC mm -hmm. you insert, you know? And yeah. as long as it's not like, I'm the NPC, but this is my story. You know what I mean? Right. As long as they are just an addition to their story, then mm -hmm. it's perfect because, like, maybe there's something romantic. Or maybe, like, one of my favorites, I didn't play the NPC, but I'm going to pretend it's in that vein because when mm -hmm. Matt guessed it in our campaign... My oh, yeah. favorite part about it, it was not the initial purpose, but the fact that Snorri's character was kind of bumping heads with all of your characters. That I love how Snorri mm. was able to open up to somebody else, somebody who was new to the party format, oh, yeah. and be like, and it helped that character. And I think that's what's interesting. It allows having those personal NPCs or player characters come in it gives people in the party who need, like, another opinion or just somebody else to talk to an option. That's a fair point. Otherwise, it's, like, just your party in a vacuum, and you'll have, like, a few NPC dialogues that are that run much like Skyrim. Yeah. You know? Need something? Like, I don't know. Like, if I—and I always think of it this way. If I was in an adventuring party, and, like, we came across this cool wizard in a town, and the wizard was like, can I hang out with you guys for, like, a couple days? I'm like, yeah. As Fuck long as yeah. I insight check correctly, I'd be like, yeah, mm -hmm. let's do this. And like, you know, it'd be just a new experience. Why not? Yeah. Why not hang out with the cool, edgy, you know, rando that's walking through and see what they have to say? 
as long as they don't become like a permanent fixture, right? Or you want to like be wary about this is also like for my party of adventurers like it's their first time playing so like in case shit hits the fan like i picked a cleric so that she could also heal them you know in case the worst should happen it's a bit of a safety net exactly (laughs) so like she can't be there for the entire campaign otherwise it's just like i came along for the ride you know like there has to be you know segues they have to be on their own journey to make it feel like legitimate i love getting to see the the way you've advanced as a dm i'm like aaron they're great <laughs> like they've and thanks you have it on the podcast too you know ravnica's great it really thank you thank you i look forward i felt the same way about callum too because callum is a character that i want to play yeah you know that's fair i love him but i also understand like it's not his story so when i was like do you guys need me to come along and you were like no we're good i was yeah. like okay okay and then you're like, it's fine. that's fine then, right? Like, I yeah. did what the NPC was meant to do. And, like, will he reassert himself later? Absolutely. When it is time. When it is time. <sighs> yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was a great D&D conversation. It's been so long since we've done it. I just want to toss in a little bit of magic before we close out Oh, absolutely, because there's plenty to be excited about in the magic world, too. Yes, so uh, I know Elliot and I did, like, a whole rundown of what was uh, coming out in 2022, but we haven't really talked about what's coming out in 2022. Ah! So is there there anything that has caught your eye in particular? You know what it is. You already know. Please tell me it's Kamigawa uh, and I'm so excited Good. for Kamigawa. Yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah. yeah. And I, honestly, I mean, that's the main one I want to talk about, too, because that's what's in, like, our future right now. Right. Yeah. One, I love a good time jump, you know? This is over 1,200 years after the first time we saw Kamigawa. Yeah. My favorite Planeswalker is from there. Hello? So if I don't see some Tamiyo cards, I'm going to, say, to be upset. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't. Yeah. I hope, I hope. And I also really love that they're taking this sort of like cyberpunk approach and a cyberpunk that's like very focused in magic. Like all of their technology is magical, which makes it align much more with the multiverse that already exists and makes it maybe an easier transition from like the D&D fantasy that we have into this sort of like sci-fi realm. Yeah. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm really pumped. Um, I've been excited about the cards they've previewed already because this set comes out February 10th, so it's it's coming mm-hmm. uh, very soon. And, yeah, I think it's really good because I know that the Magic community has been very strict about what is fantasy to them. So mm-hmm. I hope that this is a cool way to just open that mindset a little bit more. Definitely. And also ninjutsu. <laughs> and also there are ninjas there. I love the ninjutsu mechanic, and I'm really happy that they're bringing it back. We got a little bit of it with Zareth San in Zendikar. But I would like them to fully go back into that because it's a really cool black-blue mechanic. I really think it's fun. I'm not familiar with ninjutsu. Not going to lie, I haven't read into the cards a whole lot. I just, like, looked at the the lore of it all. In February, we'll go back into it because, honestly, my big lore question, and maybe you can tell me what's up, do you think Azusa is going to be, like, very natural, like, green-white? Or do you think she'll dive into technology more and, like, become, like, a green-blue? I don't know. Um, my hope is to sort of be like a foil to the world, you know? Okay. Sort of have like, like nature versus technology is like a classic yes. thing. That's like the whole argument of green versus blue, right? Yeah. So I think it would make sense to have that represented also through the story of magic. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And if I could just say to the story of magic, Aaron, if you would mind mm-hmm. me one second, is that I'm excited for the end of the year with the Brothers War set. Because if we're talking about lore and Magic the Gathering, 
We're gonna get some like War of the Sparks level lore coming up, so that'll That's be tasty. fun to have that again. Yeah, I'm really looking Absolutely. forward to that. Absolutely, because I'm not gonna lie. I read the lore for all the sets except for the Forgotten Realms set, which I feel bad about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't read. That I have either. no idea yeah. what's going on with that Sorry. set, so I'm looking forward to something big like this, like the Brothers War, bringing all of mm-hmm. literally the two famous brothers their feud back into this world. Like that's great. Mm-hmm. Artifacts. I'm also maybe. really excited for um, the Capena stuff. Oh, the crime syndicates. Yeah, because I just think, like, powerful crime families is, like, so cool. And this very, like, modern noir setting is going to be awesome. I can't wait for the drama. Totally. And it's been since Ikoria, mechanically, that we've gotten, like, strong three colors. So Mm -hmm. it's good for the color wheel to have those cards again. Because I've missed playing, like, Ikoria three color cards. Like, that's when the three colors were the strongest. It's hard. Three colors is hard. I love it. Because like we were saying, too, back when we did the color wheel, which oh, color was like wheel. seven years ago. It may be. Um, the more colors you add, the more it sort of, like, dilutes what each color, like, stands for. True. You know, it, like, just complicates it. So you get a less clear picture of what everything is. So what you're telling me is that we're going to have some complicated crime families here. Some very complicated crime families. Oh, that's super Not exciting. just the black-white Orzhov syndicate crime family, you know? Yeah, totally. It, we're adding another color in there. Maybe it's red. Yeah. Maybe it's blue. Could be green. Maybe it's green. What does that mean? Oh, green. That That's such an interesting trio. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious When you think about, about yeah, like green, white, and black, you know, which is like the uh, color combo that I would give to my druid from Out of the Abyss, Kiva. Yeah. Who I originally thought was green, blue, white. I was wrong because I realized he's sort of like an asshole um, and is not afraid to do what it takes to protect him and his, you know. So that's also the color combination that was Tree Folk um, in Lorwyn. True. Yes. I was thinking Tree Folk with that. Just a bunch of angry trees in a syndicate just smoking cigarettes. Yeah, just like I'm tired of you stepping on my roots, son. Mm -hmm. I want you to. Sounds like orc mischief. I want you to. I was trying to do the leaf joke, but it's so bad. I can't do it. I want you to make, like, a tree and leaf. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, I'm ending it there. Sorry. We can't go any Good. longer. This is this thank is too you, poisonous. Um, yeah, so we got a lot to look forward to. So mm-hmm. get ready, everybody, because we're going to be diving into a whole new year of fantasy. Absolutely. And don't forget, I can't carry the ring, but I can like and subscribe to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. <laughs> Share the Lord. Share.